Not only should Walters be your spot before and after every Nats game, but also Walters is an avenue for cheaper Nats tickets. When buying tickets to Nationals Park through the rest of the season, enter promo code WALTERS for 30% off. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Stone Garrett is at third, Jake Alou at second, and Blake Rutherford at first. Two balls, two strikes, nobody out, the kick and the pitch. Swung on, line drive, right field. Butler coming on, can't get there. Drops in for a hit. Garrett down the line, he scores. It'll be station to station. The runners had a freeze, making sure it drops in. And on at first with a game-tying pinch hit RBI single is Lane Thomas. Ruiz leading off, first pitch, hit to deep right field. This is way back. This ball is going, 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 goodbye. Bang, zoom goes K-Bert Ruiz on the first pitch from Lucas Ursag with his 14th home run of the year, an absolute rocket into the Nationals' bullpen and a curly W's in the box. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, August 13th, 2023. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi Podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off for this installment of the pod, but I am joined by the man who runs the uh, Nats Chat Podcast Enterprise, Tim Shovers, and we have a walk-off Nationals victory to discuss. A 3-2 walk-off win over the Major League Worst Oakland A's at Nationals Park on Saturday night in Game 2 of a three-game series. The Nats improved to 52 and 66. They now are 14 and 8 over their last 22 games. The Nats now are a mere half game behind the many hundreds of millions of dollars payroll spending New York Mets, if you can believe that. But this walk-off win on Saturday night for the Nats was something. This was a game in which the Nats overcame a 2-1 eighth inning deficit. This was a game that the Nats won despite going at 2 for 15 with runners in scoring position. This game actually was so frustrating from a Nats standpoint, given all of the squandered opportunities. But then, K-Bert Ruiz in the bottom of the ninth, a leadoff, first pitch, walk-off homer to right field for a 3-2 Nats win. All of these fails with runners in scoring position. And then on the first pitch of an inning, the Nats end the game. Amazing. Tim, this was some night at Nationals Park. It was loaded with positives, Al. You mentioned the frustrating negatives sprinkled throughout the evening, the missed opportunities in certain frames. But Ruiz, walk-off homer in the ninth on the first pitch. 
CJ Abrams, I thought, made some nice plays in the field, one in particular. Jake Irvin pitched very well, not perfectly, but very well. And Kyle Finnegan was dominant in the ninth, and he's become, it looks like for the time being, a dominant ninth-inning presence in this bullpen. So many positives here in Nationals fan, big picture from this victory. This was a feel-good night. This is becoming a feel-good series. The A's are horrendous. We all get that. But the Nats are beating up on the A's. And if you didn't know better, you wouldn't recognize that this is a series of two last-place teams, at least for now. We'll see what transpires with the Nats and the Mets in the coming days. But the Nats in this series are not playing like another last-place team. The Nats in this series are playing like a team on the rise. The Nats are beating up on the lowly A's and. It's great to see that. And it's great to see what's happening with K-Bert Ruiz. You know, we talked about him in the previous installment of the show, the rise of K-Bert in recent weeks, and hopefully what ends up being a season in which, okay, he got off to a rough start, both offensively and defensively, as we have noted with the offense, you know, good process, bad results. Well, lately, he has been getting the results. He, on Saturday night, was the Nats' number three batter due to Lane Thomas not starting the game, although he did pinch hit in the game. More on that coming up in a bit. But K-Bear, one for five, but the one was the walk-off homer. One run ninth, leadoff, first pitch, walk-off homer to right field for a 3-2 Nats win. Here are your K-Bear Ruiz slash line numbers now. For this month of August, a batting average of 333 and on base percentage of 450, a slugging percentage of 576. He has gone from really not doing much offensively in terms of the results to being an offensive force this month. He has, Al. And, you know, you mentioned the August numbers, which by far have been his best, seemingly, and slugging well over 500. A lot to enjoy there. I was looking at, well, two catchers in particular. I looked at their offensive stats today just to get a comparison for Cabert Ruiz because when I was growing up, no one cared about OPS or it was rarely mentioned. So I looked up Mike Piazza's OPS for his career. It's pretty staggering. Plenty of seasons well above 900 and even 1,000. His career OPS is in the 900s. You can see why he made it to Cooperstown. Let's go to JT Real Muto, who now at the Phillies is offhand, considered the best hitting catcher in all of baseball. And I'm looking at his OPS totals here. I'm seeing an 824 as the highest, which is good. And an 821, 840 as well, excuse me. So a bunch of ones where he's been above 820 and some where he's been in the 770s and 780s. My point is, is that it wouldn't be that big of a leap for Cabert Ruiz to turn the corner and become a big bat among catchers in Major League Baseball. And as the team is getting better in August, Kbert Weeze is mirroring that production, and I'm very excited about it. Yeah, and what you just hit on, I think, is such a key point when it comes to offensive numbers for catchers. These numbers are all relative, and a good hitting catcher is different, very different, than, say, a good hitting third baseman or a good hitting first baseman or a good hitting outfielder. Like, JT Real Muto is a really good hitter for a catcher. But if you look at Real Muto's numbers versus other star hitters at other positions, look, Real Muto is still good, but he's not this like, you know, elite player the way he is an elite catcher. Catcher just is not the offensive position that it has been previously. And, you know, we've talked about this, but the days of the Mike Piazzas and the Johnny Benches and the Yogi Berras, you know, these big time hitting catchers. I don't want to say that they're completely done because, you know, you do get guys who can hit like Real Muto, like Adley Rutschman, but, you know, fewer and fewer catchers are really good hitters. And part of that is 
if you are a really good hitting catcher, you stop being a catcher. They move you away from being catcher because we know that catcher can ruin you. You know, see Buster Posey, see Joe Maurer in terms of how catcher just can ravage your body and lead to a premature end to your career. So like, you know, Bryce Harper would be the ultimate example of that, right? He was a catcher and the Nats got him the heck out of that position and uh, made sure that that's not where he was at. But yeah, I think you're right. I mean, K-Bit Ruiz has the potential to be Real Muto-esque, not in terms of the speed, but in terms of the offensive production when it comes to something like, you know, an 800 plus OPS. Isn't there yet, but what he's doing this month does make you think about what could be with K-Bit Ruiz. So great job by him to connect on that homer. But, you know, you didn't know where this game was going, right? I mean, neither team was hitting much. You know, you thought you could be in for a a lengthy marathon affair. One pitch (laughs) in the bottom of the ninth and the game ended. So great stuff from K-Bit Ruiz. Well, I mentioned Lane Thomas. So this was uh, interesting on Saturday night. So Lane Thomas was a late scratch from the lineup. If you are a hardcore Nats fan, and I know that uh, most of you listening are, you know, Lane Thomas rarely misses games this season. He has been one of the Nats' real Ironmen this year. But Lane Thomas in the 8-2 win on Friday night in the Nats' three-run seventh took a leadoff hit-by-pitch in the area of his right wrist. He was going to start this game, ended up not starting the game. It was a late scratch, but he did come off the bench in a big spot, and he delivered a one-run eighth inning. That could have been a much bigger inning, but it was a one-run eighth inning. Lane, a pinch, bases loaded, opposite field, RBI single to right field to tie the game at two. What a job by Lane Thomas to come through in that spot. Yeah, Lane Thomas, you know what he acted like tonight? He acted like a team's best player. He wasn't able to go. He came in for one at bat, basically. I know he stayed in the ninth. In one swing of bat, he ties the game in a game in which the Nats constantly were coming up just short, and you thought the eighth inning might be the same thing again, which would have put Davey in a very interesting predicament as to who to throw out there in the ninth if they're behind. I don't know if he still would have thrown Finnegan or not, but yeah, I like that Lane Thomas, clearly he hates missing games and took advantage of that opportunity. Normally, he would take a day off every two or three weeks and we get accustomed to that happening in the eighth inning, but it seems so odd because you said he's basically been like Ripken this year. He has been, and I mean, think about it like this. The Nats now have played 118 games this season. Lane Thomas has played in 117 games. He has not played in one game the entire year. So that really says something about his durability and obviously his production, right? Because Davey Martinez has made it a point to have him in the lineup. I got a kick out of it too, because we've joked about how when a guy doesn't play due to an injury that doesn't have him on an injured list, you always hear from the manager, well, he's available to pinch hit. And then like the guy never actually ends up pinch hitting. Now you didn't get that with this day because the scratch of Lane Thomas came after Davey Martinez's pregame session with reporters. But lo and behold, Lane Thomas did pinch it and he delivered. And boy, did the Nats need that. I mean, again, you're watching this game. If you were at the game, you were like begging for someone to come through in a big spot. And it ended up being a guy who wasn't even supposed to play in the game in Lane Thomas. I mean, it was rough with what we saw with some key Nats bats in this game from a standpoint of hitting with runners in scoring position. C.J. Abrams on Saturday night, 0 for 4 with a hit by pitch. The 0 for 4 all came with runners in scoring position. Joey Manessis, who has made a living this season doing well with runners in scoring position. He on Saturday night as an at starting DH and number two batter, as it was Manessis who took that usual Lane Thomas number two spot in the lineup. Manessis 0 for 5, including 0 for 4 with runners in scoring position. 
it's funny, man. You had the likes of Jake Alou and Blake Rutherford getting hits in this game. Alou, not so surprising, but Rutherford was. And you had Abrams and Manessis actually not coming through for the Nats in multiple big spots in this game. Yes, congrats to Blake Rutherford. He's off to Schneid. He got his first big league hit. And Jake Alou coming through. I'm sure you love that, Al. A bunt single right there. Your, your favorite play. Yeah, no, other guys stepping up there. This is just a weird thing. Jake Alou does not look like someone that should be hitting left-handed. I have no statistical evidence to this. He just looks like a guy that should be hitting right-handed. He looks funny to me when he's standing up there. But I was really happy for Blake, as I talked about last night. I would hate if he sort of had the stretch where he just never got going, and then he missed his one chance. So that's over with. He got his hit. Good for him. And one thing, Al, that I really want to give the fans uh, some credit for, some DC fans who you know catch flack all the time, immediate standing ovation and applause from the fans and attendance on Saturday night. This is not some huge prospect, right? This is not James Wood or Dylan Cruz, but for the fans in attendance for a last place team momentarily in mid-August against another last place team to sort of have the baseball IQ for that, for a guy like that that was called up about a week ago. Good on you, Nats fans. Well, it felt good to see him do well. You don't like to see anyone struggle. And this was becoming a bit uncomfortable with what had happened with Blake Rutherford. He, coming into this game on Saturday night, had been 0 for 16 with five strikeouts and no walks since it had selected his contract from AAA Rochester on August 4th. You know, he was not playing in every game, but he was playing a decent amount. And when he was playing, he would get yanked from games like mid-game because he wasn't hitting and Davey Martinez wanted to ignite some offense. It's just so funny how this stuff can go because, again, 0 for 16 coming into the game. He ends up going 2 for 3 with two singles and a walk. He gets the first hit, and then he gets another hit, and then he draws a walk. And it was like, oh, wow. All of a sudden, like the faucet has been turned on. A Rutherford in the Nats, one run second, a one out opposite field single through the left side of the infield on a 1-2 pitch for what was actually his first major league hit, period. Never mind with the Nats. Then Rutherford in the bottom of the six, a one-out single to center field on another 1-2 pitch. And then Rutherford in that Nats one-run eighth, a key plate appearance, an eight-pitch walk to load the bases with no outs. So some really good plate appearances by Blake Rutherford on Saturday night as the Nats starting left fielder and number eight batter. We've talked about this guy. Age 26 season was taken by the New York Yankees with the number 18 overall pick in the 2016 draft. Like this guy was the number 18 pick in an MLB draft. The Nats signed him to a minor league contract as a free agent this past January. He hit really well for AA Harrisburg and AAA Rochester this season. Obviously, he had struggled at the major league level, but came through on Saturday night. And, you know, you hit on Jake Alou, another game in which this guy gets on base, you know, has a hit or more than a hit. In this case, more than a hit. He went two for three with two singles and a hit by pitch as an ad starting second baseman and number seven batter. He, in the bottom of the six, had a one-out single to center field despite having been down at 1.02. And he, in that one-run eighth, what you talked about, the bunt single to the left side of the infield toward the shortstop position. But speaking of infield hits in this game, if you watched this game, or if you were lucky enough to be at this game, you saw maybe the single greatest infield single in Nationals history, and it came from Ildemaro Vargas. Who says he should not be the every-game third baseman right now? As Vargas awaits the right-hander into the wind of the 0-2, swung on, hit back up the middle, good play by Medina, flags it, reaching to his left on one hop, then took his time, doesn't make a flip to the bag, and Vargas beats him to the bag. Unbelievable! 
Il Demaro on Saturday night as the Nats starting third baseman and number five batter. One for four. The one was this five-star <laughs> infield single. Vargas in the Nats one-run second, a leadoff infield single. That was one of the best infield singles that you'll ever see. First of all, the infield single came on an 0-2 pitch, so you start with that. But best of all, Vargas on the infield single out-hustled the A starting pitcher, Luis Medina, to first base. Medina caught a hot shot that was right at him, actually made a pretty nice play to get the ball. But he then totally lollygagged his way to first base while also not throwing the ball to the A's first baseman, Tyler Soderstrom. I don't know what Medina was thinking. He probably wasn't thinking. And so what ended up happening was this great visual of Luis Medina oh so casually making his way to first base while Vargas is busting it down the first baseline. And Vargas, in an excellent display of hustle, beat Medina to the bag. You make a play like that at a comebacker. And then he just never threw the ball to the first baseman, Soderstrom, waiting for it. That was spectacular, what Ildemaro Vargas did right there. You're right, Al. Medina, he wasn't thinking. I think he was just totally confused and just kind of lost focus of where he was. He had the ball and forgot he got a th- I don't know what was going on there. Obviously, he had double or triple logic going on in his head. I don't know if you noticed this. When Vargas beat it out at first base, Eric Young Jr., the first base coach, went nuts. And what was funny about that, it was a big night for EY Jr. He had that play. He was celebrating with Blake Rutherford on his first hit. And then also, he was all jazzed up with Jake Alou after that bunt single. So it was just kind of one of those nights where the first base coach kept popping on your screen, but in a good way. Usually it's because maybe a bad center or something like that, but that wasn't the case for EY tonight. Yeah, this was a fun game in a lot of ways. Frustrating at times, yes, but also fun. Some really fun moments, as, uh, as you just outlined. And, you know, what happened with Luis Medina there, I think is so emblematic of the A's. I mean, again, worst team in the majors, really historically bad. If you look at the record, the run differential, et cetera, and that's the kind of play that gets made by a losing team. I mean, that was a loser play, and I'm not calling Luis Medina a loser, okay? I mean, he could end up having a great career, but that play is really bad, okay? There are so many things wrong with what happened on that play, and that's the kind of play that happens uh, when you're facing a bad team. But props to Vargas for capitalizing on that. And, you know, I just, I love the message that that sends of you always hustle because you never know. You don't know what could happen on the play. You don't know what the opposing team could be thinking. You don't know if someone's going to have like a brain freeze the way that Luis Medina did on that play. Like you always hustle. Vargas did and he got rewarded. And that was a great spot. If you haven't seen the play, I really would go out of your way to see that play. It was that fun to watch. Also, I do want to salute Stone Garrett. So he wasn't supposed to start this game. Again, Lane Thomas was supposed to be the starting right fielder, was the late scratch. Garrett ended up being the Nats starting right fielder for this game. Of course, we're so used to seeing him in left field. He was in right field in this game. He was the Nats number six batter facing a right-handed starting pitcher in Luis Medina. But Garrett came through again, uh, one for two with a single and two walks. So we are seeing uh, Stone Garrett starting to hit right-handed pitching here which is good to see and uh, which is a testament to him. So that was the story with the Nats offensively in this game. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, 
Unlike Mackenzie Gore and Capert Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfis has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red-hot antitrust, IP litigation, white-collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. If you too are on the lookout for some cheaper tickets to the Morgan Wallen Show at FedEx Field in early September, then I suggest you check out the Game Time app. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports and other shows near you. It is the fastest growing ticketing app in the USA for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy, so that way you know exactly what to expect when you show up. Grab the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Here's what to do. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT, that's spelled N-A-T-S-C-H-A-T, for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey, guys, I want to tell you about Factor. We on the Nats Chat Podcast talk all the time about who is and will be a factor for the Nats. Well, the factor that I want to tell you about is as good as any top-notch prospect. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, and it can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. With Factor, you skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping and the prepping and the cleaning up, too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Factor is fresh, never frozen meals already in just two minutes. So all that you have to do is heat up and enjoy. Treat yourself to 34 plus weekly restaurant quality options like bruschetta shrimp risotto, green goddess chicken, and grilled steakhouse filet mignon. Again, ready in just two minutes. Go to factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use the promo code natschat50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use that code natschat50 to get 50% off. Hey, Nats Chat. Another game for Dylan Cruz in center field for the Fred Nats on Saturday night against the Litchburg Hillcats. He went 0 for 4, but did draw a bases loaded walk in the sixth inning for an RBI on the evening. His ninth RBI since already getting called up to Fredericksburg. He's currently hitting 235 in his brief stay with an OPS at 749. The Fred Nats lost 8 to 6 to Lynchburg. They'll be back at it on Sunday afternoon. Now back to the show. The left hander ready. Here it is. Swinging a pop-up on the infield. Abrams, the shortstop, is calling. Drifting back outfield grass. He's got it. And somehow the Nationals keep the A's off the board. They had second and third no outs and failed to add on. 
We also did get really good pitching from the Nets in this 3-2 walk-off win over the A's at Nationals Park on Saturday night. And Jake Urban was the Nats starting pitcher. He had not been great lately. You know, he has been in kind of the same boat as Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore lately, you know, to varying extents of just being off. You know, we have seen good, encouraging stuff from all three guys this season. But all three guys lately, as in like the last few weeks, have been kind of up and down, you know, again, some more than others. But Urban on Saturday night facing the A's, who are really bad, especially offensively, was good, really good. Urban, two runs in six and two-thirds innings, six strikeouts versus no walks, gave up seven hits, two home runs, two doubles, and three singles. He threw a lot of strikes, 99 pitches, 66 strikes versus 33 balls. A lot to like from Jake Urban in this game. A lot to like. Uh, Allow me to get excited about Jake Irvin in the 2024 rotation while we're here. Looking at his game logs, he has not had a blow-up start since May 14th, and that was his third start against the Mets, and that was coming off a really good start he had at San Francisco. Since then, yeah, there have been some so-so outings where you have three or four runs given up and multiple walks, but overall, I mean, you look at it, he's giving serviceable, if not good, starts every fifth or now, I guess, sixth day while Johan Adon is up, and I am liking what I see from Jake Irvin. Al, to me, he's starting to look like a big league pitcher that belongs in the top five of most any rotation. Would you agree? Uh, I think there's reason to think that he can be that. Yeah. You know, I mean, the overall numbers aren't great, but you can't just judge the guy by his numbers. He is young. He, in theory, is ascending. And of course, he really wasn't supposed to be this this season. He wasn't ever supposed to be in the Nats rotation this season. I mean, I I think it's important to remember what happened here with Jake Irvin. The Nats on May 3rd recalled Irvin from AAA Rochester. He's only in the rotation because Kate Cavalli underwent Tommy John surgery and Chad Cool really struggled for the Nats. So he has been given this opportunity and he has found a way to stay in the Nats rotation. He, at the time of being called up, was only the Nats' number 20 prospect per MLB pipeline. But I'm with you. I mean, I think he has pitched his way into the conversation. And I think when you talk about the 2024 rotation, you do have to include Jake Irvin as a possibility, if not a probability. Now, you know, there are a lot of other things to be thinking about. You know, Cavalli coming back from Tommy John, this continued rise of Jackson Rutledge. Rutledge now for AA Harrisburg this season, 12 starts, 68 into third innings, an ERA of 316. So he's on the rise. Might he be a part of the rotation at some point next season, maybe even possibly at the uh, beginning of the season? You know, I don't know how likely that is, but it is possible. But yeah, Irvin is doing well. And, you know, we have harped so often on the Nats missing on first round picks and really having like so little in the way of non first round hits. If they could get a hit out of Jake Irvin, a guy who, again, was not a highly regarded prospect, a guy who was not a first round pick, the Nats took Irvin in the fourth round of the 2018 draft out of the University of Oklahoma. That would be a great tale to tell, a great story to tell in terms of, hey, we can take someone who isn't a first-round pick and develop and groom him into being a part of our major league rotation. He is a great story, and he's a great story that's a positive coming off the huge negative, which is Kay Cavalli missing the entire season. As awful as that was for the Nats' rebuild, this could be a bright spot that unexpectedly emerges from that. Also, while we're talking about Jake Irvin, we talking about shutting down pitchers, young guys in September, which is definitely going to happen to Mackenzie Gore. 
Is Jake Irvin included in that, or does he not get the kid gloves treatment because he's not a golden boy prospect? Uh, well, I think he is included in that. I think they're going to probably handle him with care, and they should. I mean, just because you're not Mackenzie Gore doesn't mean you shouldn't be handled with care. I mean, Irvin is a Tommy John guy, so you have to keep that in mind. He is a younger pitcher. So, yeah, I mean, you could have Gore, Irvin, and even also Gray. We don't know exactly with Josiah Gray to what degree he has a workload limit, if he has a workload limit. But conceivably, all three of those guys could end up being limited uh, as the season goes on. I would think primarily Gore and Irvin, but you know it could be Gray Gore and Irvin. So yeah, I mean that you know in theory that's part of why the Nats are going with this six-man rotation. And um, you know I keep coming back to this. The Nats have had such a good year in terms of in-season starting pitching health. I really can't get over this. I mean, if you follow Major League Baseball, basically every team has to deal with some injury in the season to a starting pitcher. And so often teams have to deal with much more than just one injury to a starting pitcher during the season. If you're following the Tampa Bay Rays, they have been inundated with starting pitching injury this season. The Nats really haven't. I mean, Technically speaking, only Chad Cool, And, you know, we all know the deal with that. It was a foot ailment, but he was struggling. And so the Nats sort of parked him on an injured list, and he's not even with the ball club anymore. Now, yes, you do have to say, well, Cade Cavalli needed Tommy John surgery before the season. Yes. And, you know, Steven Strasburg is, I think, an entirely different conversation. But Gray, Gore, Irvin, Corbin, Williams, all staying healthy this season in season, I think is a testament to them. And I also think is a testament to the organization. The Nats as a ball club are doing something right with pitcher health this season. No one shows up to work every fifth day quite like Patrick Corbin. Regardless of the stuff he has, he's always ready to go, him and his left arm. You're right. I mean, knock on all the wood, after the Cavalli thing in the spring, which again, for the rebuild was so bad. After that, yes, they have had great luck. And it's not something to be taken for granted and uh, I'm sure Davey Martinez is well aware of the fortune that has smiled upon him this year. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it means for next year because, you know, this could just be like a really good year of in-season injury luck. It's like when an NFL team has a great year of health with its offensive line. What tends to happen is the next year, the offensive line is ravaged by injury. And like, it just, there wasn't anything that you did necessarily the previous year. It's just, you had good injury luck that year. So I don't know how much of this is luck, but you know, I think you have to be open to the idea that maybe there's something going on here beyond luck. Like maybe there is some good sports science stuff happening. Maybe there is some good training staff stuff happening. The Nats, you know, do take care of their starting pitchers. We have seen that and it's working so far this year. So I do want to tip the cap to the Nats organization for that. And let us also tip the cap once again to the Nats bullpen because the bullpen kept the game close to where the Nats could forge this comeback from a 2-1 eighth inning deficit on Saturday night. The resurgence of this Nats bullpen continues. This is probably the single most stunning development with the Nats over these last few weeks. But on Saturday night, two Nats relievers combined for two and a third perfect innings. Jose A. Ferrer won and a third perfect innings. He came into the game in the top of the seventh with runners on second and third, two outs, and the Nats down 2-1. And he got pinch hitter, Esteuri Ruiz to pop out for the third out, and then Ferrer tossed a perfect top of the eighth. And then, as you mentioned earlier, Kyle Finnegan, a perfect top of the ninth, two swinging strikeouts to preserve a two-all tie. Man, is Finnegan locked in right now. 
he is generating strikeouts and the uh, agita that you had if you're a Nats fan not that long ago with Finnegan, that's basically gone now. He really has become a near certainty these days. He's coming into these games. He is looking sharp. He is throwing strikes. He is producing strikeouts. And uh, he's putting up zeros. And he put up another one, a big one, in this win on Saturday night. He looks and feels the part. I know he didn't make the All-Star game, but right now he feels like an All-Star reliever to me. Sometimes, some evenings, he looks even dominant. It does seem like the strikeout rate is going up. So it's something to really be excited about. Now that the Nats are just a half game behind the Mets as we tape this, the beginning of June, if you remember, uh, weekend series against the Phillies, that's when the Nats were, for literally one night, were tied with the Phillies after beating them on a Friday. That's when the bullpen was just about to start falling apart in early June, and then it got worse in July at Wrigley Field. But to be back where we are in mid-August and for the bullpen to be in the state that it's currently in, I know we literally talk about it every single day, but I'm still not over it. Like, where did this come from? Because it just seemed like we were headed towards such disaster. And not only did that disaster stop, but it has gone completely the other way. It has, which does make you wonder if it's going to revert back to the way things were at some point here, right? Like, this is almost too good to be true, how great the bullpen has been. But let it ride and see where it takes you. Maybe this does continue the rest of this season. And here's something to think about. So both Hunter Harvey and Tanner Rainey are on the bend, and they are continuing their comebacks from injury, right? Harvey, right elbow strain, Rainey, Tommy John surgery. And it is feeling like there's a pretty good chance, if not a really good chance, that each guy will be pitching for the Nats at the major league level this season. In Harvey's case, again, in Rainey's case, for the first time this season. But it does not sound like, say, Harvey isn't going to pitch again at the major league level this season. And, you know, it has sounded for a while like Rainey will pitch in the majors this season. It's just a matter of when. But if this bullpen is rolling, and then you add to this bullpen Hunter Harvey, and you add to this bullpen Tanner Rainey. Now, we'll see where those guys are at and their comebacks from injury, and maybe they don't hit the ground running, but then again, maybe they do. What would this bullpen be like here when you have Finnegan going well and Jordan Weems going well, and we have seen some really good stuff from Andres Machado, not every time, but a good bit of the time lately, and Jose A. Ferrer has been doing his thing. Now you add Harvey, and then you add Rainey. You know, again, you're not in contention this season. I understand that, but things could get fun down the stretch of this season with this Nats team, especially with the bullpen. Allow me to throw some uh, cold water right back in your face here, Al. Because of the shutdown that we talked about, if they're shutting down Gore and then you throw in Irvin and Gray, I don't know how many guys here, it's just going to be hard to fill innings in the final few weeks of the season, which would make Harvey and Rainey's return even more clutch so they can help eat up some innings there. And by the way, just a little housekeeping here regarding Hunter and Rainey because Davey Martinez gave an update on them Friday afternoon before the series began. They each threw 20-plus pitches in a sim game at Nationals Park. According to Davey, both look good. Harvey's going to throw again on Sunday. And then Rainey, it sounded like either Sunday or Monday. I wasn't quite sure. But so it looks like they're going to have the next step of that. And we might not be that far away from them doing a rehab assignment in one of the minor league affiliates. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, you know, you can't just assume they're going to come back and be great. And of course, by the time they get back to the majors, it could be that some of these aforementioned Nats relievers who are currently pitching for the team at the major league level are no longer going well. But then again, maybe they are still going well. And maybe this Nats bullpen, which was so bad for so much of this season, actually ends up being a real strength down the stretch. We shall see.
The Nats will go for a three-game sweep of the uh, lowly A's Sunday afternoon, 135. It will be Trevor Williams getting the start. So we have spent a good bit of time on the podcast these last few days talking about the uh, A's ownership situation, the uh, relocation situation with the A's seemingly on the verge of moving to Las Vegas, all of the really, uh, you know, (laughs) near hatred, I guess you would say, that A's fans have right now for the uh, managing partner of the A's, John Fisher. By the way, we on Saturday night had another sell the team chant from both A's and Nats fans directed at John Fisher, this in the top of the fifth. But, you know, you've talked to a lot of people about this, and uh, I know that you had something that uh, you wanted to say about the A's situation. Yeah, so uh, I wanted to give uh, Oakland fans a platform here since uh, they came to town here, and and they've become a part of this series, the top of the fifth inning. Like, if you are paying attention, you are making sure to to see that first batter and then to sell the team chant. I love the spirit. I love when baseball fans, you know, try and do everything they can. And I respect a good fight against the man, just like the next guy. But I do have to say, I'm for them moving to Las Vegas. And I'm sorry for all the Oakland fans. It stinks. Like, I get it. Oakland fans have put up with a ton of nonsense for decades, not just the past few years. That stadium, they've literally been trying to get a new stadium my entire life. I was born in the mid-80s, and then it got further complicated when the Raiders moved back and they built that quote-unquote Mount Davis part to the stadium, which just look at pictures and you'll kind of figure out the whole situation there. It's, it's a real eyesore. It seems like back when Deadspin was was in its heyday, it seemed like every other month Deadspin would have a story last decade about this uh, sewage pipe exploded at the stadium and this toilet exploded. Like It just seemed like like a disaster movie all the time there. And frankly, I'm sick of it, and I'm excited for baseball to go to the Strip. Vegas has become – it's no longer stigmatized for mainstream sports. There's going to be a stadium, it looks like, on the Strip. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It could be a real bachelor party weekend. How fun would it be to go to a baseball weekend with your friends out in Las Vegas to see your favorite team play? Frankly, that sounds a lot more fun than going out to Oakland, if you ask me. So for me, I'm pro-Vegas. I'm sorry, Oakland. Maybe we'll come again. Maybe you'll be a spot for the next team that has a stadium situation down the road. Maybe you'll get your team in 10, 20 years. Hopefully, you won't have to wait 30-plus years like here in D.C. But overall, Vegas, here we come. I think it's so funny how, for so long, these major pro sports leagues would not touch Las Vegas, the notion of a team in MLB or the NFL or the NHL or the NBA ever being in Vegas was, oh no, you can never do that because of gambling, you know, and gambling was like this four-letter word. And now these leagues are like falling all over themselves to get to Vegas. We see, of course, so many gambling ads and gambling sponsorships being done, forget about by, you know, like shows like this one, but by leagues, in conjunction with leagues, during games, we are seeing team broadcasters invoke gambling and bring up, hey, you can play this and you can get that deal. I mean, if you're watching Nats games on Masson, Masson has a gambling deal that you get hit with every broadcast now. It's just incredible to me. These pro leagues were so slow to get on the gambling train and were so resistant to get on the train. And they always tried to play this morality card of, oh, well, you know, gambling's not right. You can't do that. And now they can't wait to to take in all of the gambling money that's out there. It just, it, it cracks me up. Like, this was never about morality and what's right. Like, this was about these leagues not recognizing the amount of money 
that's out there in sports gambling to be had and to be made. And so they're now swimming in that pool. And yeah, uh, it does look like MLB will become the third major pro sports league, NFL, NHL, and MLB to have a pro team in Vegas. We shall see. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show to Nats chat podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the program, we'd love to have you on board. Email Tim at Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. Get yourself a Nats chat podcast t-shirt. Uh, you can do that by going to our website, natschatpodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. Nats Chat is on the radio Sunday mornings, 11 to 12 on ESPN Richmond, which is 106.1 FM in the Richmond, Virginia area and ESPNRichmond.com. For Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Here's the pitch, swinging a ground ball, base into the left field. There's the first major league hit for Rutherford, but hit hard enough that stopping at third is Vargas. The ball was charged by Bladay. They're showing Blake Rutherford on the video board here at Nationals Park. He's off the schneid, gets a hug from first base coach Eric Young Jr. In his 17th at bat, he has his first major league hit. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.